All right, we're trying out a new format here, Bible Q&A. After I was on Bryson Gray's channel answering a bunch of questions about the Bible and Catholicism, I decided, well, why not do that regularly? And I have a special treat. I'm joined today with my daughters. I've got Mary Claire here with me and Rose. And Hi. as you can see, they're twins. <laughs> and they're going to help me with the questions today. So um, we have 10 questions. And then if there's some questions, good questions coming in from the audience, we are live streaming right now to Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So if some questions come in, make sure you use a question mark. That way we see they are a question. But we do have a bunch of questions ready to go. So, um, all right, Mary and Rose, who yes. is... Who's going to kick okay. us off here? Uh, I'll kick us off with the first, first question. Okay, um, first question. This is a good one. I heard the Antichrist will be gay. Is that true? Okay, will the Antichrist be gay? Will he be a homosexual, a sodomite? This is actually a, uh, a pretty common thing. I've seen it in the Church Fathers um, when I was studying uh, for my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse. Um, this was one of the things that came up, and it's based on the book of Daniel. So the book of Daniel is one of the key places for the Antichrist. And the verse that people refer to, and some of the church fathers refer to them as well, is, where'd my Dewey Rings Bible go? <laughs> Here we go. It is Daniel 11.37, okay? And here it is talking about the Antichrist. And this is where people get the idea that the Antichrist will be homosexual, okay? Daniel 11.37, and he shall make no account of the God of his fathers. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why the church fathers say that the Antichrist will be Jewish, okay? Because mm -hmm. he worships the God of the fathers, which is the true God of Israel. And he... And he shall follow the lust of women and shall not regard any gods, for he shall rise up against all things. Now, in the Hebrew here and in some of the interpretations, it's he doesn't make account for the God of his fathers and he shall not have lust mm -hmm. of women. All right. Or he shall follow the lust of women in that women lust after men. So he's going to lust after men. So it's this ambiguous uh, reading of Daniel 11.37. By the way, another feature of the Antichrist is he will he will not regard any gods. In other words, he's not going to worship like Zeus or Pachamama or anything like that. The only god for the Antichrist is going to be himself. He's going to set himself up as the god to be worshipped. So when I did my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, I didn't go into the Antichrist as a homosexual because it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a, it's not a huge consensus. Right. And the scripture on it is a little bit ambiguous, but mm -hmm. people go to Daniel 1137 um, when they speculate whether the Antichrist will be a homosexual. So is it that. ambiguous across all translations or um you know that that I don't know. Let me I mean, like maybe that. we should look at a different translation. Let's look at um I don't know. Let's look at I'm look I'm reading the Dewey Rames here, but mm -hmm. let's look at like a Protestant one. Let's look at uh maybe the King James. Or let's look at the RSV. Okay. Or no the ESV. 
that's a pretty of the Protestant ones. That's a a good one here. So let's see, Daniel eleven thirty seven and come on. Oh, I have to hit the click. There it is. Okay, so that's interesting. This one translates it as um, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. So okay. I don't know. That's kind of a different one, you know, yeah. different here. Let's look at, I wish I could find the King James. There it is. There it is yeah. The King James says, ah, so, okay. The King James definitely lends itself more to the Antichrist being homosexual for mm-hmm. it. Cause it says, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's carrying the negative through the statement. And yeah. I, so this is the idea that he's not going to desire women. Okay. So he gay. That's what people. That's what mm-hmm. people think. Mm-hmm. Okay. All so right. So he won't, even if. Um. I think so. Basically, he's saying that he won't have even like, he won't have any children. Is that he won't have any offspring in that sense? It could he, be. Yeah, I don't think he's supposed to have any kids. Okay. And I don't think he's married. Yeah. So. All right, so that's a pretty that's a that's an interesting question. The Antichrist is he homosexual? All right, so what's our what's our next question? Okay, um, let's go with: Should Christian babies be circumcised? And where in the Bible is bapt- is the baptism of babies? Okay, good. So, should Christian babies be circumcised? This was a big debate with the Catholic Church talking to the Coptic Church mm-hmm. because in the Coptic Orthodox Church they do practice the circumcision of boys and the catholic church following saint paul in galatians says that to circumcise for religious reasons is a sin so thomas aquinas i think it was the council of florence also said if you circumcise a boy for religious reasons or you seek to be circumcised that is a sin and they base that off of galatians so i'll read you that real quick from the dewey reigns And it is Galatians, I think it's chapter 5. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so in Galatians chapter 5, he says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So Paul says, being circumcised ever since Jesus died on the cross, it doesn't do anything. It availeth nothing, okay. to use the scripture there. But then in chapter 6, uh, he says... Uh, verse 13, for, not, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. And then he says again, two verses later, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor un- uncircumcision, but a new creature. And I think the next part of the question was baptism of babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Where so, is it in the Bible? Yeah, so one of the key verses here is Colossians 2.10. Or two nine. Let me see here. Hmm. Maybe it's none of those. Ah, two eleven. I was close. I was throwing darts. All right, two eleven. In Him, Jesus Christ, ye were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Okay, so this is 
this is the whole idea in the Old and the New Testament, or, or the Old Testament, the sign of redemption of justification is circumcision. All right, that mm-hmm. happens in Genesis chapter 17. But then when Christ dies on the cross, there's a new sign of justification, and that is baptism. And how do we know that baptism replaces circumcision? Colossians 2.11. So he says, in him, ye, that's an old way of saying y'all, y'all were circumcised. So that means I'm circumcised, you're circumcised, you're circumcised. How does that make sense for for men and women who, and women especially, Mm -hmm. the whole idea is in him. In Jesus, you're in Jesus, I'm in Jesus, you're in Jesus, everybody who's baptized and living in grace out there, we're all in Jesus. And because Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, mm-hmm. which happened, we celebrate on New Year's, we have his circumcision applied to us. Okay. We also have all of his uh, obeying of the law, 613 commandments applied to us. All right. So we are, we are righteous in him. Now, how do we get in him to get his circumcision, to get his righteousness, to get his obedience. How do we get into him? How do we, yeah, how do we, enter, yeah, I'm asking <laughs> how do we uh, enter into baptism. Jesus? Baptism. baptism. Okay, so this is exactly what St. Paul is saying here, and this is where we get to the baptism of babies, right? Well, yes. Bap- I mean, circumcision is restricted to just men, but baptism is for men and women. So before Christ came, were women and when men were just in? circumcised, how were women? That's a good question. That actually relates to baptism. I'm glad you asked that. Um, When a baby was born, Mm -hmm. all right, a baby, a male baby received a circumcision and a mikvah. What's a mikvah? A ceremonial washing. It wasn't like I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it was a ceremonial washing, right? So female babies, little girls, they would get a mikvah, a washing, all right? And then they would be presented in the temple. Boys would get a mikvah and a circumcision, and then they would be presented in the temple. So there was a ceremony for the little girls as well. And I think this kind of goes back to the Colossians 2.11. How do we get into Jesus? How do we get his circumcision, his righteousness? It says, buried with him in baptism. We're buried in him with baptism. Now, if baptism is what makes us enter into the church, which is the new Israel, and it gives us gives us a circumcision, should babies be baptized? Yes. Yes, of course, because it's unthinkable in the Old Testament. Okay, let's think of all these, you know, new, all the early Christians were Jewish. Okay, so they come into the church, and then they're like, well, we want our babies to be in the church. The apostles are going to say no. For over 2,000 years, they have been incorporating their babies into the people of Israel. Why would God change his plan and say, no, babies are not allowed? So this might be a stupid question, but um, when Christ was circumcised and presented into the temple, was that was that correct to do? Um, like, was that correct of Mary and Joseph to like present their child in the temple, even though... He's like, perfect. Yes. Was that, yeah. was that like... Yeah, and then also remember the Virgin Mary... On the 40th day, not only did they present Jesus at the temple, Mm -hmm. she had to go through what's called the purification. Women were seen after they gave birth because of all the afterbirth and blood. They were impure Mm -hmm. for those 40 days. They couldn't worship. They couldn't go to synagogue. They couldn't go to the temple. They were impure until they did that. So the very fact that Jesus is sinless, he doesn't need to be circumcised. 
Uh, Mary is the Immaculate Conception. She does, She's not impure. Yeah. Right. Right. So she doesn't even need a purification. And yet Jesus and Mary submitted themselves to the law. Why would they do that? Humility. Mm-hmm. And then remember when, and again, Jesus wants to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, Lord, you know, this is not right. Like, I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus says, it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So he's saying, yeah, I know I shouldn't be. There's no reason for me to be circumcised. There's no reason for me to be baptized. I'm God. Mm-hmm. But it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So he's submitting himself to all the precepts of the law. Mary, even though she's pure, submits herself to all the precepts of the law. And by doing that, they have made sure that the church is holy, just, righteous, and we enter into it. There's one more verse on the baptism of babies. So is this where, is this, mm-hmm. I don't know if this relates, but is this kind of where we get the um, like rule of law social contract theories derived from in a way? Is that a lot derived from scripture or is that unrelated completely? Like social contract of? Rule of law, like, you know, no one is below um, the rule of law. Even Darnetic Kings does not exempt you from. Yeah, but I mean, like, when you, I mean, I guess it would apply to Mary because she's a creature, mm-hmm. but Jesus is full yeah. of God. So yeah. he would, even then, he would not even, I mean, he right. is above the law. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I think it just shows their, their humility and for them to fully identify as being Israelite. And they okay. totally submit to Moses to fulfill righteousness. Okay. But Mary knew she was perfect. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. she she wasn't just so but she Mary knew was that. aware that she had never sinned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And she was aware that her child was perfect in every way. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the angel comes to Mary, and well, first she's immaculate conception, so she's perfectly righteous and filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb. In fact, many say that she was rational in the womb because of that, mm-hmm. like already self-aware. So not age of seven, it was like... Not age of seven for her. For like instantly. Rational and praying from the very beginning. And then, uh, much later, she realizes that she has this special relation. I mean, not realizes, she knows she has a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. And of course, the angel comes to her and is like, your son's going to be the Holy One, the Messiah, Mm -hmm. conceive the Holy Ghost. So yeah, this whole idea that Mary and Joseph are like, oh, he's so interesting. What a special child. Who is he? That's like, Mary, did you know? That's not real. (laughs) It's not real. All right. So um, baptism of babies, the key verse is Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. This is Pentecost. Mm -hmm. This is 50 days after the resurrection. Peter preaches the first sermon. And he says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is to you and to your children. So Peter's preaching, and he's like, be baptized, repent and believe in Jesus, be Mm -hmm. baptized, you'll receive the Holy Ghost, this is for you and your children. So baptism is for your children. It's it's an unselfish act, it's for... It's for your offspring also. Yes. Eight. Well, because the whole idea is, you know, I'm your dad. Right. Right. And there's me and then mom and then all the kids. And we are a unit. Yes. Like the way God understands mm-hmm. it is we're not individual. That's like a communist word. Individual <laughs> means undivided. It presumes that the family is divided. 
You got individuals in a family. That's not right. We have a family with persons. Like, I don't really think of you an individual. Mm-hmm. I think of you as a person. Right. I'm a person. So the, the, as the head of the household of a, like a domestic church, if I come to know Jesus Christ and I'm baptized, that grace and that conviction is part of my home. Right. It's for you. It's for you. It's for all your brothers and sisters. We're a unit. So he says, this gift is for you and your children. Wow, we've only done one question. And it was, that was, that was two. two. Or that was, was it two? Yeah, yeah. One, one. That was a long question. That was a long question. All okay. right, let's check in with the audience here. Okay. Um, oh, here's one. Teresa says, did Jesus know he was God as a child? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, Jesus knew from the very moment he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary that he was God. He didn't lose that. All right. You want to go crowd questions or keep on our That's another crowd question. You want to do another crowd one? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Stephanie says, yeah, I don't like Mary. Did you know song? I think it's kind of disrespectful to Mary. It is. It definitely is. Mm -hmm. Do you think the like, oh, it was just a rhetorical, you know, um, question. Do you think that argument kind of stands you? Do you still think it's kind of, it's a little, um, patronizing to sing that like to Mary. I don't think we should sing it. Okay. I think it's I think it's I think it's disrespectful. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's go back. Let's go okay. to the questions we got here. Oh, uh, uh Solitarius says, "Can you explain the Nephilim in the Bible?" And that's actually one of our questions. Which question is that? Oh, that is. Numbers. Yeah, okay. We're going to cover that. Okay, well, we'll do it now. All let's right. do it now. All so, right. the Nephilim Nephil in Hebrew means fall fall down. So the Nephilim and and in Hebrew, im, I am is a plural ending. So in English, we put an S on a word, Mm -hmm. giant, and then we say giants. So if you put im on a word, you got plural. So the Nephilim are the giants. And there are several times in the Bible. I'm going to pull them up for you. We'll read the verses. It goes back to Genesis 6, 4, before the flood. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Okay. So this is a very confusing passage and there's basically two interpretations on how to handle it. Number one, the watchers which in, in um, Greek are the Gregoroi. So if your name is Gregory, your, your, your name means the watcher. So there's these kind of angels that are called the watchers or the Gregoroi. And the Gregoroi are, have been apportioned by God to sort of be the, the tutors or the guardian angels of humanity. They come down, they're working with humans, mm-hmm. and a group of these watchers start lusting after the human women and they have intercourse with the human women and then the women get pregnant and they give birth to these mighty men, the giants okay. or the Nephilim. Are these the Philistines or the Amongst the Philistine were some giants and whether okay. those are related to these Nephilim or not. So but is Goliath a Nephilim? Seems like it. 
Okay, probably. Yeah, you'll see as we get into like numbers that the word's used again. So Nephilim means fallen ones. They're wicked. And that it seems that this mixture, this is theory number one. We'll get to theory number two in a bit. Theory number one is this mixture of these angelic human baby giants Mm -hmm. that God just hated that. And that's one of the main reasons for the flood. He has to flood the earth and then he preserves Noah's line, which is pure. It has no angel Nephilim blood in it. So were the, um, these fallen angels, did they join Satan and his army of demons? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're bad. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Part of the idea of Nephilim is their fallen one. Like you could translate Nephilim as fallen ones. Okay. So they have the same kind of negative connotations of, uh, say like Cain's children as well. The same kind of. Right. Definitely. Evil. Yes. Bad. Bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the second theory is it says the sons of God entered into the daughters of men. So the other theory is, so you had righteous people before the flood. You had Cain and Abel. Right. All right. Abel was good. Cain was bad. Then there was Seth. He was good. So there's this idea that the daughters of men are the evil people that follow Satan. And then the sons of God are the good people who follow God and Abel and Seth and all that. Right. So you have two... Mm -hmm. Partitions, and then what happened is, is they started breeding together, and God didn't okay. like that. Okay, so that second theory that it's all humans breeding with human, bad humans breeding with good humans, that is endorsed by Thomas Aquinas. All right, so he takes it all human. If you read the book of First Enoch, which is a wild ride, if you read First Enoch, Enoch says, "Nope, angel, angelic beings, the Watcher, the Gregory." came down and mated with humans and created these giant, bad, mighty men. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, if you read Second Peter and Jude, and Jude quotes First Enoch, it seems that Peter and Second Peter and Jude, the apostle, it seems, this is controversial, that they favor theory number one. Real angels came and mated with humans and created these Nephilim. Now, I saw one of the comments, and it's something like, um, if like these, like I guess now demons had no physical body, how do they impregnate a human woman? Yeah, I mean, that's what St. Thomas Aquinas he says. That's that, his argument? Yeah, he's like, okay. an angel doesn't have sperms. It's, it's so then how, how, can you, how can you back up that claim or that theory? Well, you just say they did some kind of miracle. Okay. Or they it's, had some well, kind of superpowers or... It's, yeah, it the angels had powers, but wouldn't that power derive from God? Yeah, but I mean, God allows demons to do really wicked, bad stuff. Okay. It's, it reminds me of some kind of Greek mythology, you know? Like yeah, The no. giants. No, it's definitely it, yeah. tied in. I mean, the, some people... I've written an article, if you go to taylormarshall.com, where I talk about how the the myth of first Enoch right? The angel angels breeding with the humans and the falling. And then I kind of parallel, parallel that to the story of the Titans. And it's actually, it maps pretty good. So some people, if you were an atheist secularist, you would look at the story and say, okay, what happened is Jewish people who were monotheist came in contact with the Greek myths Mm -hmm. and they sort of made their own twist on it. And that's the story of the Nephilim. Some people would say that. Now I want to read a couple more passages about the Nephilim. Numbers 13, 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come to the, of the giants, 
and we were in our sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So this is when the Israelites with Moses are going to the Holy Land, and they send guys in to spy on it, and they see the Philistines, right, or the Canaanites, Mm -hmm. and they're like, these people are like Nephilim Mm -hmm. giants. Now, are they actually Nephilim, or are they just giant people, and they use that word? I don't know. Okay, also in Deuteronomy 2.11, which were accounted as giants, the Anakims. Deuteronomy 2.20, that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt there in the old time. Also, Joshua 12.4, on the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was of them the remnant of giants. Now, when when do the giants kind of fade out of Scripture? if you put it on, on a timeline. Yeah, it seems like after Joshua, they're gone. Just no mention or like, are there any? Like they die out or okay. they get killed, you know? Let me, um, right. there's some more mentions of them in the Deuterocanonical books. Let me open those up. Uh, the book of Job's. Uh, the book of Job says, Behold the giants grown under the water. Now, that okay. might actually be referring to whales. Yeah, I Because right. they could yeah, hear yeah. whales going, Rrr. you know, the sound. Right, yeah. And they that dwell with them, just like fish. Right, I exactly. Um, now, Wisdom 14.6, this is in the Deuterocanonical process, don't have this. It's, uh, it's, this goes back to the flood theory. It says the ancient giants did not obtain pardon for their sins who were destroyed, trusting to their own strength. So clearly there were giants. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, sorry, that was Sirach 16.8. Wisdom 14.6 is, and from the beginning also when the proud giants perished, the hope of the world fleeing in a vessel which was governed by the hand, by thy hand, left to the world seed of generation. So the hope and fleeing into vessels, obviously Noah's Ark. Okay, right. So the proud giants, like they perished, then are all giants of like, or of that, um, that, um, that heritage, are they all then evil? Like, yeah, they're all evil. Just like by nature. Yeah, they're just wicked. The giants are like never not just, not just good a, giants. Not just original sin, but they are just evil. Yeah, so they're like, they got original sin and they got these demonic angelic, if you okay. buy that theory. Do you, do you think the giants were just very tall people or they were actually... I think they were kind of jacked. <laughs> but they, they still had like the body of a human just... Yeah, well, I mean, they, they're obviously human-like. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they were large and tall and... Okay big. Uh, and they're in the Bible. I mean, you can't say they, the giants yeah. don't exist. They're there. What's Do you know the etymology of like where they got the word giants or how it's, why it's translated that way? Yes. Uh, it, the, the word giant English comes from the Greek word gigantes. Gigantes. Mm-hmm. Like gigantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has to do, if I remember correctly, with uh, so in Greek, the the triliteral root G-E-N or G-A-N is where we get the word Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the G-I or the G-E for gigantes Mm -hmm. is earth. Gaia 
yeah. Geo, geography, right? So gigantes is the earthborn. Right. Is what it means. Gigantes are earthborn. And then that word gigantes, since these are these earthborn, angelic, quasi supernatural, preternatural things, they come to be known as huge giants. Giant. So that they're like gigantic. They're like predators, basically. That's why we that's why we think they're big. Yeah. They're predators. So they could have in other ways, they could have in other ways been predators not just in their size. They could have No, if you read first Enoch, they are going around like killing humans and like okay. I think they're cannibals too. <laughs> oh. First Enoch. Yeah, they're going around eating people and stuff. Okay. They're real bad. So they're just yeah. in every they're way more dangerous. They're savage. Okay. Yeah, they're just savage guys going around. If I had a I have a copy of First Enoch at home. If I had it with me, we could open it up and we could read about the giants. Yeah, they're bad, real bad. Um, but and so the idea is that God would have killed them off in the flood, the Nephilim. Okay. Let me see if there's any more gigantes info. Yeah, I think that's good. Let's let's check in with the audience here. Okay. All right, audience. We're doing Bible talk today. Should we call this show Bible talk, Bible Q and A? I like Bible Q and A. I like Bible Q and A. Yeah. Q and A. Because we bring in that. If we bring right. Q and need to bring the audience. We're good okay. here. Okay. So, Christopher Eddy says Yahshua not named Jesus changed. Okay. So you have to understand in antiquity, the Hebrew names come into Greek and Latin and even in Aramaic, and they get changed. Isn't All it? Right. So, like, for example, Miriam, M-I-R-I-A-M, is the name of Moses' sister, Miriam. Well, you got, you got the open right here, First oh, Enoch. Yeah. Maybe see if you can find anything cool about the, in the right, First I'll, Enoch, and we'll read it. I'll, I'll look through. So, Miriam, that name evolves and changes so that when you get in, when the apostles write down the New Testament, that name, Miriam, is now... Maria, which Maria. is your name, Mary, right? And then it comes into English, not as Maria, but as Mary. The mm -hmm. I is into a Y. It's the same name, all right? If I'm talk, if I say the Virgin Mary, you can't say no, no, no. You got to say Virgin Maria, or Virgin Miriam, mm -hmm. right? The same is true of different saints. For example, Elijah the prophet. His real name in Hebrew, I believe, is pronounced Eliyah. Eliyah, Eliyah, E-L-I-Y-A-H. The Y-A-H is Yahweh, mm -hmm. okay? El is God. Eliyah means God is Yahweh. Well, it comes into Greek. So Greek doesn't like H's on the ends of words because the Greek language has to have the different cases, right? Yeah. The declination. Mm -hmm. the, so, so it becomes Elias. A S on the end. Yeah. Right? Elias. Right? And then it comes into English. English people sometimes like to make that I into a J and then it goes Elijah. Mm -hmm. It's the same guy. Right. Right. We don't have to be sticklers on the name. The same thing is true of uh, Jesus. The real name is Yah. Y A. Y-A-H, Yahweh, mm -hmm. right? Shua, salvation. Yah-Shua, 
Yahweh is salvation. It also is the name Joshua. Mm -hmm. Same name. Like the book of Joshua, that guy's name was Yahshua. Yeah. But when it comes into Greek, again, they don't like the A endings on the end because it sounds like a girl in Greek. So they like to put S's on the end. So it becomes Yah, instead of being Shua, Yah, Shus. Yah, Sus. Yay, Sus. Mm -hmm. And there you go. Right. It's the same name. It's just modified. Mm -hmm. And if you say you shouldn't say you should always say Yahshua, there's our there's people out there, Christians who say you should only say Yahshua. You know that? No. no. Yeah, they say only. Jesus is wrong. Shouldn't oh. say it. So just like as in it's disrespectful or yeah, they're just, like it's not wrong. his name. It's like me okay. calling you Moo Moo. Even if the intention's there, it's just wrong. They're like, it's wrong, okay. don't say he, it. He doesn't want to be called that. Like, yeah, you don't okay. call him Jesus. That's wrong. You always say Yahshua. You've never met anyone that does that? No, no. Never. Okay. I've sheltered you very well. <laughs> okay, so yeah, there's people who say you shouldn't say that. But here's my question. Why did the apostles, Matthew, and the gospels, Mark, Luke, John, when they write, Paul, when they write down the name, they don't write down Yahshua or Yeshua. They write down Jesus. Let me put it on the screen for everybody. Here's what they write. That's what they write. Yay, Sus. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Yeshua, but instead of having the A on the end, they put the S on the end because it's Greek. Yeah. Yeshus. And in Byzant late Byzantine, the S, check this out. This is going to blow your mind, people. In late Byzantine, the S's look like C's sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. That happens sometimes. But when you see on the back of vestments or in churches, IHS or IHC, that means those are the first three letters of Jesus' name. Looks familiar. Yeah. And yeah, you'll often see, and then sometimes that I looks a little bit like a J, which is fine. Right? Uh, this is also where when people cuss and take Christ's name in vain, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to do it now, but for educational purposes, they'll say Jesus H. Christ, which is very sacrilegious. Don't ever say that. This is ignorant people in Europe. Little name. <laughs> they know They know everywhere in church is IHS or IHC. Yeah, they yeah. see that everywhere. Yeah. So they assumed somewhere that the middle initial of Jesus was H. Okay. And this is where they get the, the blaspheme when they say Jesus H Christ is what they're getting it from this right here. You should never say that, by the way. Okay, so the, the thing is, Christopher, you asked, should we say Jesus or Jesus? The answer is the apostles, when they wrote down the Bible, they didn't write Yeshua. They wrote Jesus. They didn't write Miriam. They wrote Maria. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay if the names get a little bit altered. One more question here. This is, uh, will the Antichrist be a Jewish male? The answer is yes, absolutely. It's unanimous in the church fathers. He will be a male and he will be of Israel. Mm -hmm. And yeah, go ahead. 
it's all detailed with footnotes, all the church fathers in my latest book, Antichrist and Apocalypse. Y'all read the book, right? Yes. Have you read it? Yes. All of it? All of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know Mary's read all of it. All right. Um, okay. Next question. All right. Oh, wait, do you have some uh, first Enoch? Well, there's a you lot find of some cool stuff, stuff here. Anything about giants? It says um, here, it says um, it describes them as they beget this to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Oh, okay. So the, it does the describe giants. them as a cannibals. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Does it talk about what they looked like? Oh, read the part where they became pregnant. All right. And they became pregnant and they bear great giants whose height was 300 L's, which it says is about a cubit, who okay. consumed like all that. the acquisitions of men. And when men can no longer sustain them, the giants turn against them and devour mankind. Okay. So they're, they're eating humans. Yes. They're like hunting humans, like predator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's sick. One yeah. in scripture is um, cannibalism first, like um, condemned, rebuked. I think it's in Leviticus. Let's see That's here. A tough one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to get loose. Yeah. Loose uh, stuff in that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I know it's in there. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I don't know the verse. Okay, let's get the next question. I don't, I don't think we need a verse to. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of kind of nasty. Um. Okay. okay. Do you want? Okay. Go ahead, Rose. Uh, oh, you know what? We're at halfway here, all right. so we need to do our sponsors. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So the number one sponsor is New St. Thomas Institute. This is where I teach online courses. We go really deep. We have a whole course on the Old Testament and a whole course on the New Testament. And if you go fast, you can probably do the course in what? Each course. Six, six to eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. could do the Old Testament in six to eight weeks and the New Testament in six to eight weeks. Most people take a little bit longer which mm -hmm. is fine. We don't have like curricula. I mean, we have curricula. We don't have like semesters or timelines. So if you want to do it fast, you want to do it slow. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're into this Bible depth and getting really deep, I'll take you through every single book of the Old Testament. I'll show you where Jesus is, where Mary is, where the sacraments are, all the prophecies, all the fulfillments. And then I also take you through every book of the New Testament and give you the Catholic perspective from the church fathers. So I don't know of any other online course that goes through the Old Testament, the New Testament from a Catholic point of view. And here it is. So you can sign up today. There is uh, it's very affordable. It's very inexpensive. And there's a 21 day full money back guarantee of your tuition. So give it a shot. I think you'll like it. We have a 93% retention rate, which means people try it and they love it. Go to newstthomas.com, newstthomas.com. And our next sponsor is Real Estate for Life. If you want to move to Texas or a conservative place, go to realestateforlife.org. Tell them you heard it on the Taylor Marshall Show, and they can help you sell your house where you are and buy a house where you want to go or one or the other or whatever. It's a great resource for people who are trying to move across the country or move out of their own country to another country. They have agents and representatives all over the world even in Canada and Mexico, especially in us. So check it out. Realestateforlife.org. All right. That's the sponsors. What's our next okay. question? Next question. Is Jesus the only way to God? Yes. 
And I think right. <laughs> next question. I think the next question. I don't know. It kind of ties in. Well, I, okay. So let me give you all some verses on it, right? So the classic verse is John fourteen six. Mm-hmm. Every single Christian should memorize this. You should burn it into your mind. You should of, of tattoo the top, it on your arm. Don't do that. <laughs> but of the top ten verses that you should memorize, John fourteen six is one of them, and it says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." No one cometh to the Father but by me. Now, it's not the way, the truth, and the light. A lot of people will get that wrong. They say the way, the truth, and the light. No, no, no. I even seen a kid's book. Maybe when you're all little girls, we had a kid's book, and it quoted the Bible, and it said the way, the truth, and the light. And I'm like, man, you guys missed it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's no better authority. You can mm-hmm. only go to the Father through Jesus. Not Buddha. Not Zoroaster. Not Muhammad. Not Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle. None of the, none of them will get you to God, because Jesus is fully God mm-hmm. and fully man. He is the bridge between the finite creation, human, creative reality, and the eternal infinite of God, because He's fully God and fully man, hypostatic union, and He dies for our sins. We've got two problems to get to God. We're finite. God is infinite. Somehow, we finite people need an infinite. A rocket launcher to get us to the infinite. Can we ever build that? No. No, it's impossible. And on top of that, we got sin. Mm-hmm. So we need someone who is human but has the infinite power of God because he is infinite, the Son of God, and he dies for our sins on the cross. So he solves both problems and gets us to heaven. That's why he's the only way to heaven. And then Peter says there's no other name in Acts, by which we can be saved. Acts 4.12. There is salvation, There neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved, end quote. So to back up a little bit, um, so Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, how do we, where, so this could, people could, I see how people can easily derive, we are justified by faith alone from this. What does it mean when you say Jesus? Does that mean just believing in him, his name? How what does that what does that entail? Yeah, so we have to believe in Jesus and in his name. But he also says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. So so faith is faith is the very faith is the mental I want to say the belief, that's the same thing. Faith is the mentality or the agreement of the soul and the mind with the reality of God for his plan of salvation. He says, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. Do you accept that reality for me to be in your life? Mm -hmm. If you say yes, right? You say yes, okay? You're now in a position of faith. A lot of evangelical friends believe that's it. God comes to you with the proposal. Yes, I accept the proposal. And they're like, congratulations, you're saved. Once saved, always saved is done. Right. You're saved. justified. No follow-up. That's it. So what does is, what is justified mean exactly to them and then to us, I guess? Or so, to Catholics and to and evangelicals? So justified is a word you see in the Old Testament, and you see it a lot in the New Testament, especially St. Paul. And it comes from a Latin word, a double word, justus, 
which means righteous, just, and justification, uh, facio, which is Latin for? To make. Boom, right there. To make. To make. So what does justification mean? To make righteous. To, to make, make right. righteous. To make righteous. Now, Martin Luther said that righteousness was imputed to the sinner. And the Council of Trent and the popes and the Catholic Church say that the righteousness of God is infused in the sinner. What's the difference? This is the, this is the big difference between Protestants and Catholics. Okay, so Martin Luther says imputed. So what does the word imputed mean? M means in, impute, mm -hmm. puto in Latin. Any of you remember puto? No, it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute. Okay, think. Ah, like computer. Yeah. Puto putare. Yeah, yeah, think. Puto putare, to think. So what Martin Luther says is, is God, there's like the righteousness of Jesus. And then he looks at Rose and he says, all right, I am going to think the righteousness onto her. I'm going to impute it to her. But you don't really get it, right? It's like yeah. there's like a, a Microsoft Excel sheet and it says Rose on it and he just types in there righteous. Right. Right. And then hits save document. Yeah. That's how Martin Luther understands justification. It's imputed to you as a legal reality. The Catholic Church says that's heretical. Right. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. What happens is, is God infuses righteousness into Rose mm -hmm. or you, Mary, or me. What does infuse mean? It means pour into. Infuse. Like if you infuse something into chicken or, mm -hmm. you know. Like a you're cup of grace. Assigning. Yeah, you're not just like going into the Excel sheet and going, Taylor Marshall, 100% righteous, enter, it's like, save document. Like you're Santa, good, Taylor. Like, yeah. It's like in Santa's the document. list of like naughty and nice words. It's like, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's like the naughty down. nice list of Santa Claus. <laughs> the Catholic <laughs> understanding is, Okay, this person is now in a position of faith. That happens either by the movement of the will and then the reception of baptism, or in the case of a child below the age of seven, they don't have free will. I mean, they have free will, but it's not operative yet, mm -hmm. right? So when they're baptized, they receive faith, mm -hmm. right? Right. So in that moment, when with the water, good analogy, pouring water, righteousness of Jesus is poured into the person. It's actually infused into you. You get an injection right? An infusion, a waterfall of righteousness actually inside of you. Martin Luther rejects that. He said it's imputed, not infused. Mm -hmm. So you can see already that if it's imputed into a Microsoft Excel sheet, it's once saved, always saved, right? right? Yeah. I mean, it's there. If it's infused, if God, if it's like a cup of water mm -hmm. and God puts it in there, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to go do a bunch of mortal sins or even one mortal sin. I poke a hole in the thing and the water runs out. Mm -hmm. Now you have problems. How do you get, how do you fix the hole and how do you get water back in? Right. And how do you keep filling the cup and keep the cup full? Mm -hmm. Well, this is where we get sacraments, right? right? So if you commit mortal sin, you go to sacrament of penance and confess your sins and receive absolution. You get confirmation, fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. You receive the Eucharist. All these things are part of this system of infusing. Right. If you don't believe in infusing. It's a constant. If you don't believe in infusing, yeah. then then sacraments, you can see how the Protestant worldview now works, right? Yeah. There's, 
you don't need any infusers. You don't need any sprinklers. You don't need any pours. You don't need any hoses or anything like that. It's all on an Excel sheet in the cloud. It's in the cloud Excel sheet. So that's the difference between justification by faith alone, by imputation, and then justification by faith followed by works with infusion. Okay. Awesome. How are we doing on time? Um, oh, we're doing good. How many questions have we done? We three. Will, but not counting, not counting crowd the, questions. Yeah. All right. We get, do you want to do another crowd question or whatever? Let's look at some crowd okay. crowd questions here. Make sure I use question marks. Ah, this is a good one here. Uh, sleeping, sleeping Lioness says, define righteousness, please. Okay, so righteousness... In Latin is justitia. It's where we get the word justice. So righteousness and justice are the same thing. So when you're, when you're reading like an old Catholic book mm-hmm. and it talks about uh, original justice, that's the opposite of original sin. Okay. So they'll say Adam and Eve had original justice before they fell. Okay. Right? So uh, righteousness is the attribute of being aligned with God with regard to legal precepts. Let me let me compare that to holiness. So we got righteousness and holiness. You can get the switcher if you want. Righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is being in conformity with God with regard to legal precepts. Holiness is being right with God or in relation to God with regard to ceremonial purity. Okay. All right. So you can, it's, it's really the same thing, Mm -hmm. but it's two lenses of looking at it. So you can think, so if you think of yourself as I am unclean and impure before God, you are using the lens of holiness. Right. Right. But you can follow the rules in. If you think of yourself as a lawbreaker, right, as a sinner, as a transgressor or a trespasser, you are looking at the relationship with God in terms of righteousness. But holiness and righteousness ultimately are the same thing. Right, they go hand in hand. Yeah, what's, it's, it is, yeah, you could say it's two hands yeah. of understanding. So we off, you know, when we talk about baptism, you are cleansed, that's holiness. Mm-hmm. You are purified. You are made sanctus, saint, right? But you're also justified, right? Your original sin is removed, mm-hmm. right? So you, it's both of those things. And so in Catholicism, we have justification. That's your yeah. relationship with God with the terms of law and precepts. And then we have sanctification, which is your relationship with God with holiness. And it's essentially the same thing. It's just different different ways of looking at it. So I hope, Sleeping Lioness, that that answers your question. Okay, I have another quick question. Okay. Why do you promote the Dewey Rames Bible? Why do you, why do you promote that one? I promote the Dewey Rames Bible because I am DJ Dewey Rhymes. That's my stage name. No, the Dewey Rames is the best translation because it was translated. What happened is... Remember King Henry VIII? Yeah. He was bad. All right. He started his own church, Church of England. Mm-hmm. He, you know, killed his wives, all that stuff went on, right? 
Well, his daughter Mary took the throne and she was Catholic Mm -hmm. and she persecuted the Protestants, right? And kept the Catholics. Well, then she died. And Queen Elizabeth I became queen and she persecuted the Catholics terribly. Her punishment for them was hung, drawn, and quartered. They hung you around the neck. Then they, um, what was the drawn? Oh, they cut open your guts, your intestines while you're, then you're, by then you're waking up. They hung you not to death. They hung you till you kind of like passed out. Then they pulled out your guts, that's drawn, and then they quartered you. They cut off your arms and legs and your head. And they put your head on a spike on the London Bridge. Yeah. That was how Queen Elizabeth rolled. All right. So at that time, the English Catholic men who loved Christ and were Catholic and loved the church, they fled England to go to seminary right across the channel, and they were centered in Douay and Rims. This is where they were studying. So at the, they realized if we're going to go back and evangelize the heretics in England under Elizabeth, mm-hmm. we are going to need to go with a Bible in English. Yeah. So they started preparing a Bible in English, which is now called the Dewey Rames Bible. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they went back to England and they were martyred. They were, they were killed. They were, they were dead. So the Dewey Rames is, um, it beat the King James. The Dewey Rames was out in 1609. The King James was 1611. Beat him by two years. So it's beautiful in that it's archaic and it has the heightened language, but it's also based on the Latin Vulgate. And it's very, very faithful to the Vulgate. And unfortunately, even modern Catholic translations ever since the 1900s are just not good. You know, like the NAB, instead of saying, what does it profit if a man loses his soul and gain the whole world? The NAB, which they read at Novus Ordo, says, what does it profit if a man loses his self and gains the whole world? Even though the Greek and the Latin say he loses his soul, they translate lose his self. That's like... I lost myself and I need to go to Europe and find myself. Yeah. Again. Like so that doesn't secular though. Yeah. It's secular. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he loses his soul? But the NAB says if he loses himself. So these kind of weird, dumb translations are the reasons why I tell people, if you're going to be very serious about studying scripture, use the Dewey Rames. We got the Dewey, the Dewey Rames right here. Use the Dewey. And by the way, at New St. Thomas Institute, we do the Dewey Rames 24-7. I also have an online digital Dewey Rames, which has with it the the Dewey Rames, the Greek, and the Latin, which is amazing. You get that free over at when you sign up as a student at New St. Thomas Institute, newstthomas.com. All right. How are we doing? Uh, Let's go into the crowd. Okay. All right, crowd. Oh, I just want to remind everyone, please like this video. If you don't like me, like it for them and subscribe. I think we might try to do this regularly, monthly or weekly. Y'all down? Yeah. Okay. We didn't talk about that before. It'll be be Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it could be Zoom. So y'all need to hit that like button. There it is. And share it. Most important thing you can do is share this on Facebook and Twitter and all that. Get the word out so people see it. All right. Let's keep rolling. 
How many questions have we done? Uh, one, two, three, five. Four. Five. Five. Oh yeah, five. five. Not, not counting. Did, you know, we did giants. Yeah. Uh, well, let's do okay, number six. Six. Okay, six. six. All right. I'll, go, I'll read that one. I heard you on Bryce and Gray say that Catholics don't adore or worship Mary, but we burn candles in front of statues and pray to her, and it looks like worship. Well, how does that work? Do we really worship her, or does it right. just look like that? Okay. What's the difference? So, Protestants believe that lighting a candle and praying is worship. But we believe lighting a candle and praying is does not constitute worship. It can constitute worship, but not necessarily. And if it did, that would mean that if you ask someone else to pray for you or made a request, that you would be worshiping them, which is not true. Right? If I say, Mary, will you pray for me? My teeth hurt. And you say, okay, I will. She's, I'm, a, I'm asking her to intercede with God for me. That doesn't mean I worship you. It just means I'm asking you to intercede, right? Also, if your grandmother dies and you put a portrait out and you have a candle burning in front of it to honor her memory or like the JFK monument where there's an eternal flame, mm-hmm. are, is that worship? No, it's not. So Protestants see, evangelicals see us like burn a candle in front of a cross or an icon of Jesus or Mary, or they hear us asking saints to pray or Mary, and like you're worshiping them. But if you just sit and think about it, that's not worship. Now you have to ask yourself, what is worship? Yeah. yeah. So what is it, girls? Good question. Mary? <laughs> um, think of the Old Testament. What is the highest? Sacrifice. There you go. Thank you. For the Catholic, worship is sacrifice. And you see this over and over in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses stipulates five major kinds of sacraments. If you want to learn all about that, I cover it in New St. Thomas Institute. So there, But the highest sacrifice you can give to God in the Old Testament, do you know what it is? Starts with the H. H. Holocaust. Holocaust. Most people think Jewish Holocaust, but the word Holocaust comes from holos in Greek, mm-hmm. which means entire or whole, mm-hmm. and cost, which means burn. So a Holocaust is a whole burned offering. You burn the entire animal. So not, not, not a candle, a living thing. <laughs> yes. A living thing dies and is consumed. So the highest form of worship for the Catholic is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the Mass is the representation of the total outpouring, the total sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we attempt in our presence, in our devotion, to unite our hearts with his heart on the cross. That is worship. It's the uniting of the sinful human with the divine redemptive action of Jesus Christ in sacrifice. Now, the second highest form of worship besides the Mass is when a Christian offers his entire life as a holocaust to God. And what's the highest form of that? 
Martyrdom? Martyrdom. Exactly. The martyrs, people come to them and they put a, a gun to their head or a knife to their throat and say, deny Jesus Christ. We're going to kill you. And they say, I love Christ. I live for him. Christ is king. And they die. That is akin to the whole burnt offering of the Old Testament. You're not offering, you know, 20 bucks to God. You're not offering your Sunday to God. You're offering your entire life, all of your organs, all of your blood, everything to God in that moment. That is worship. That is sacrifice. And that is why in the Catholic Church before Vatican II, every altar on which we have the Holy Sacrifice of Mass, inside that altar were relics of the martyrs. Because there is a union between the ultimate perfect sacrifice of Jesus, who is sinless mm -hmm. as a lamb of God, and then the lambs of God, the martyrs, who are imperfect sacrifices because they're sinners, but yet they conform themselves entirely to God. What's the third highest form of worship? We have the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice mm -hmm. of the martyrs, and what's the next kind of sacrifice? Give it to you, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, just guess. What? What's the hardest thing to? What would be when you look in the Catholic Church? Mm -hmm. Okay, you got Christ on the cross, right? That's the best, right? Right, and then you have the martyrs, right? Right. They give everything. What? What's the next class of people who are just totally in for Jesus? Holy orders. Holy orders or the religious life, which entails poverty. Mm -hmm. celibacy, obedience. So it's not martyrdom, right? Where you actually lose your blood and your organs and everything for Christ. But you're saying all my money, my greatest desires in life, which is the sexual concupiscence, I'm going to kill that. I'm never going to have kids, right? That's a sacrifice. Right. And I'm going to obey the will of another. I'm going to eradicate my will. So these are all, and then moving on down from there, you have parents sacrificing their happiness, their money, their joys, their desires for their children and for their spouse and other sacrifices that we make, which could be giving $20 to assist the poor, right? This is the worship. When Catholics talk about worship, that is what we're talking about. So, it's so not our just understanding of worship isn't just lighting a candle, asking a prayer, or playing guitar for 20 mm -hmm. minutes in front of other people with other people. That's, okay, good, but that's not ultimately what s s worship is, which is sacrifice. Right. So say praise and worship, worship music, that's, it's not misinformation, it's just their whole idea of it is skewed. They just don't have, they just do not know what worship looks like. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. giving our time and our talent to sing songs to God uh -huh. is worshipful it's good right but it's it's like way down the ladder yeah yeah so whenever we do a little bit more for mary or saints they're besides like besides well, just singing a song yeah that's, you're doing even more i'm gonna say something's gonna be offensive to evangelicals okay. their standard for what worship is is so low <laughs> okay it's so basement low that when they see us doing minor things in honor of saints since they have such a low basement view of worship they think that that's worship so what to right. them would be just reverence? So they just, to an evangelical, they say, what's reverence? 
they would i think they would say you know um just like being respectful and like acknowledgement or, yeah. or it's like being but like see we're you're reverent to me mm-hmm. right and we're all reverent to our priests and our bishops and if we lived in a monarchy we would have reverence for our monarch mm-hmm. right we have reverence for the saints right and we even call priests reverend that's their title reverend so but i'm not going to sacrifice myself as an oblation or a holocaust for my priest or my bishop we would never offer mass to peter right. or paul or we would never offer mass to the pope or offer mass even to mary that would be sacrilegious mm-hmm. so our highest form our our understanding of worship is very high so when we have acts of reverence, like lighting a candle in front of a statue of St. Joseph, that's mm-hmm. like so low, it doesn't amount to worship. Right. Yeah. So it just in, they still have the perspective that... They don't have the mass. So because they don't yeah. have the mass, they kind of they just push saints ha- down. Everything kind of... Yeah, if you don't have the mass, kind of yeah, like down. the ultimate Trinitarian worship, you just get rid of that. Now you just basically have acts of devotion and piety to God. And then they see us doing act of devotion and piety to saints and like you're worshiping God. I mean, you're worshiping saints. Like, no, Mm -hmm. you guys misunderstand where we're coming from. Okay. Do another question. Let's, let's look at our audience. Okay. You girls are popular. We have 1,837 people watching right now. Way to go. Hi. Uh, Looking for... Is Taylor a guitars and tambourines kind of guy? Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not in church. Uh, Looking through here. Let me know if you see any of these questions. There's a lot of them. Could the Antichrist be the Muslim Mahdi? Well, the Antichrist has to be an Israelite, has to be Jewish. So that has to be the case. We is, have a super chat here from Sacred Heart. The catechism says God's love has been poured out, uh, that has been poured out is the Holy Spirit. Could that mean the Holy Spirit is the fires of purgatory since the saints say that purgatory is God's love? Also, is the dragon that Daniel killed in Daniel 14 a dinosaur? Great question. Okay. So uh, the first question is, what are the fires of purgatory? We don't know. The best we have is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Oh, I know what we could do on this show. When I say a verse, you guys could pull it up. Okay, I'm going to do that. So you want to go to, I like to use, for everybody watching, I like to use the website BibleGateway.com because it has the Dewey Rames. So go to BibleGateway.com and go to Dewey Rames as your selection and pull up 1 Corinthians 3, 15. So in 1 Corinthians 3.15, it says some will be saved, but as through fire. All right. So it doesn't say what that fire is. Now, it also says that our God is a consuming fire and the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove and as fire. So the fires of purgatory are the fires of charity. So is it the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure. I know Thomas Aquinas says that the fires of purgatory are material fire and if they're material fire then it wouldn't actually be the infinite holy ghost so i know thomas aquinas would say not but perhaps there's a 
a way to see that. So 1 Corinthians 3.15. I have it right here. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Okay, there it is. Saved by fire. Show that verse to any of your evangelical friends. How come people are going to die and then they're going to be saved by fire after they die? What does that mean? It's purgatory. Yeah. Right? It's purgatory. And then also is the dragon that Daniel killed in Daniel 14, a dinosaur. So Daniel kills a dragon. Can you want to go pull that up, Daniel 14? Mm -hmm. Killed a dragon. Now, it's obviously a big lizard. He killed something. It could be a Komodo dragon mm -hmm. or it could be a dinosaur. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of big lizards, alligators, yeah. crocodiles, Komodo dragons. Okay, so it says, and there was a great dragon in that place, and the Babylonians worshipped him. And the king said to Daniel, Behold, thou canst not say now that this is not a living God. Adore him, therefore. And then Daniel took, this is the funny part. Uh, you read it, Mary. Okay. Verse 26. <clears throat> then Daniel took pitch and fat and hair and boiled them together. And he made lumps and put them into the dragon's mouth. And the dragon burst asunder. And he said, Behold him whom you worshipped. Awesome. So he kills them by giving them like a nasty fat boiled mm -hmm. hairball yeah. weird yeah yeah Creative. so is he a dinosaur i don't know i mean maybe the whole idea of dinosaurs is wrong maybe we should just understand dinosaurs as a bunch of huge lizards yeah and some of them went extinct and some of them did not but yeah daniel definitely killed some kind of giant lizard maybe it's a dinosaur are y'all enjoying right now are you enjoying today's what are we calling this? Bible Q&A? Q&A. Bible Q&A, I think. Are you enjoying today's Bible Q&A? If you are, like the video and let us know in the comments below. I like this. Do this more. That way we know. Do you want another question or go to the audience? Uh, what iPhone disturbing about this chat? What does that mean? I don't know. Um, I think it's like an auto. Maybe... Uh... Is there an iPhone disturbing the chat? Maybe we are using. I didn't, hear a phone. I didn't either. Neither did I. Okay. Um, mm, are you another? Yeah, let's get another question. Another question? Okay. Yeah. Everyone. Is the word Catholic in the Bible? And if no. so, no. Okay. The word Catholic is not in the Bible, but the idea that the church would. So Catholic means, remember Holocaust? Yep. Yep. Holos means whole. Whole. Catholic comes from two words, kata and holos, same word as burnt offering. Holos means entire, whole. Kata means according to. Mm -hmm. So if you read if in Greek, if you read the gospel according to St. John, it actually says kata Johannem, according to. So Catholic means kata, holos, according to the whole, according to everybody. According, so it means universal everywhere. And if we go to the apocalypse and watch this girl, see I'm in here on the, on the search, I'm going to put yeah. tribe, tongue, nation, enter. And then I go to the apocalypse. Apocalypse 14, six. And I saw another angel flying through the midst of heaven, having the eternal gospel to preach unto them that sit upon the earth over every nation and tribe, and tongue, and people. You see, mm -hmm. the whole idea that Christianity, the gospel, the church, is for every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, mm -hmm. right? It's kata, 
polos for everyone, mm-hmm. according to the whole. So although the word kataholos is not in the Bible, the idea that, well, Jesus said, preach it to every nation. Mm-hmm. When did that term Catholic start being used? So the first use of kataholos or ca- Catholic is in Ignatius of Antioch, and he died a martyr in 108 AD, and he was ordained by John the Apostle. Okay. So he's one generation removed from Jesus. So he just took that verse or the idea and just condensed it into a word. Yeah, he said, and he uses the word Catholic Church. So what was Christianity, or what was um, Christianity and Catholicism referred to before? before so originally, in you, when you read the book of Acts, they call it the way. Just the way. Like, are you a follower of the way? And that meant you were a Christian. Mm-hmm. And then in Acts, when they went to Antioch, oh. so I'm going to put Christians in Antioch. So they uh, Acts 11.26, and they conversed there in the church a whole year, and they taught a great multitude so that at Antioch, Antioch the disciples were first named Christians. So for a whole year, they were studying and talking in the city of Antioch, and they're growing and growing a big multitude. And it says there was the first time they were called Christians. So was Catholic used just as much as it is today um, before the divorce of um, the church, or was it just Christians so, in general? When, when was, so, this, when was the, the um, split between the term Catholic and Christian like? Solidified. So that happened at the Reformation. Okay. So it was Christian, Catholic, same thing. Yes, exactly. Same thing. exactly. So okay. if you lived in the year 700 and he would say, what is he? You could say he's Catholic, he's Christian, he's the way, he's a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Um, like in the East, like in Persia and mm-hmm. even in China, they would refer to Christians as Romans. Oh, really? Yeah. You oh. see that in some of the languages, call them Roman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or Rumi, Rumi uh, is like a Muslim way of saying it. But yeah, so it's really after the Reformation, because remember Martin Luther, Henry VIII said, okay, we have the Church of England. Yeah. yeah. Well, how is that Catholic? If it's for every tribe, tongue, and nation, how can you just be the church for yeah. one country? Yeah. So the Catholics are like, you're not Catholic. You're just one little place on the map. Mm-hmm. And the, the Lutherans were German. Like, that's not Catholic. Yeah. We're Catholic. We're in the Philippines. We're in the New World. We're in France. We're yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Is this why, is this a reason why um, why the traditional Latin Mass is so, um, not popular, but why it was such a big deal that it is one tongue across the world is the same thing or is that yeah by having latin it's more catholic more catholic yeah it's more catholic because it's more inclusive i have you have too we've been overseas we've been to europe you know like when we were in paris we mm-hmm. went to the latin mass the three same of us thing. and we were with americans and british people and germans and whoever else and we were all at mass saying the responses yeah. together the sermon was a little hard to understand the but. sermon was tough the sermon was tough fast French, but yeah, I mean, that was a, that's a cool experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and the apostles were that way too. The apostles said mass 
when they left the Holy Land, like in Antioch and in Rome, they said Mass in Greek. Greek was a universal language, but they okay. didn't say Mass in every single little dialect and tongue. Mm -hmm. Like in Rome, they said Mass in Greek, we know that. But the word on the street was Latin. They spoke yeah. Latin, right? But they didn't do Latin. They did Greek because it was a higher language. It was more universal. Mm -hmm. More people could come to the church, right, and all access in Greek, okay. right? As time went on, that changed, right? And so Latin became the So it's really for the language. convenience of the people. Mm, well, it's not, no, it's not for the convenience of the people because then you would have every single dialect. Well, Okay. It well, and then there's also Latin was one of the languages on the cross. You got Hebrew, right. Greek, and Latin. So there's a certain sacrality to mm -hmm. to Latin. That's why the Church Jesus of Rome spoke. had yeah, and like, Jesus so spoke. If those. it was Greek, then it was Latin because Latin was more first it was Hebrew, more spoken. First Hebrew. Hebrew, then Greek, then Greek, like in Antioch, Latin. Greek, and then eventually we so got Latin. So it has Latin. changed, but now I guess I now mean, there's no reason to keep going. Okay. Well, some people would say, well, well we need to just put the it most in every language. Chinese? On Earth, Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. Spanish. Yeah. All right. Okay. How are we doing on questions? How many more we got? Uh, we have, I think, just two. Two more. Right. Okay, let's do it. Okay, I'll go this one. Um, uh, John Wick wants to know: Did Jesus speak Greek? Yes, he did. To do business. Okay, wow, John Wick. Okay. Um, when wow. did Peter become Pope? Ooh, that's a good one. A lot of people have this one wrong. They believe that Jesus became Pope in Matt, or Peter, what did I say? Yeah. Peter became Pope in Matthew 16. Here's the famous verse. Jesus says, thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail against, against it. And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose upon earth, it shall be loosed in heaven. Mm -hmm. The key to this is, that a lot of people miss is, is future tense. I will build my church on Peter. Mm -hmm. I will give thee the keys Future tense. So right. does this get, does the tense get lost in translation at all? Or is it just, well, is it most pretty... people think in this moment, Peter became the Pope, but right. it's not so true. So do translations saying, get it wrong or is it that just saying anticipate this. overlook? He's saying anticipate. No, I think people just read it and are like, yeah. oh, he became the Pope. Okay. So the but Jesus is saying, correct. I will give it to you. Yes. Right. It's a future reality. And fortunately, the Catholic Church has Vatican I. And Vatican I tells us when Peter became Pope. I'm reading Vatican I on chapter 2 on Pastor Eternus, the first dogmatic constitution. And it reads this. I'll read the English for you so you not can. Thank you. So it cites Matthew 16. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and after his resurrection, Jesus conferred upon Simon Peter alone the jurisdiction of supreme shepherd and ruler over his flock with the words, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, John 21, 15, 17. So what Vatican I teaches is that Peter became the supreme pontiff and the pope 
after the resurrection. So when Jesus denied Christ three times, was he the Pope? No. No. He was not yet the Pope. So people say... When he walked on water, he was not yet the Pope. But after Jesus rose from the dead and he said to him, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. That whole episode, that is when Peter became the Pope. A lot of people don't know that. And if you go to the Holy Land, we went to it. There's a church next to the Sea of Galilee where they were roasting the fish in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think the name of that church is something like the Church of the Supremacy or something like that. And that's because that's where Peter received the supremacy of the papacy. Okay. All right, we got one more. One more question. Go ahead, Rose. Or let me read it. How oh, you read it? Okay, I'll read it. Is three day is the three days of darkness in the Bible? If so, where? Awesome. So, three days of darkness. I'll have you look. There it is. Church of the Primacy of Saint Peter. Yep, on the Sea of Galilee. Oh, see, we need to get your computer connected to this so we can still it to this. <laughs> okay. Four so, monitors. All right. I want you to um, three days put darkness. in three days of darkness into the Bible. Oh, you can't, you got to put in the three. This one? You got it? Okay, read I got it. it. Yeah. Exodus. Exodus, Exodus 10, 10 22. 22. And Moses stretched forth his hand towards heaven, and there came horrible darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Okay, so the three days of darkness is in the Bible in that it already happened yeah. once, a long time ago, when Moses was saying, let my people go to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was a plague, three days of darkness. Now, Anna Maria Taiji, other prophets, seers, private revelations have said that this will happen, just as it happened with the 10 plagues and Moses, it'll happen in the plagues of the apocalypse again, and we'll have another three days of darkness. All right? All right. And that is in the apocalypse. If you go into the apocalypse and you search the word darkness, it doesn't say three days in the apocalypse. It says, if I had my book, Antichrist and Apocalypse, I would have the whole here? the whole section on it. All right, Apocalypse, chapter 16, verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. That's the Antichrist. And the kingdom became dark, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. What is the kingdom there? The kingdom is the kingdom of the Antichrist, which will be okay. all over the whole world. The world. Yeah. Is there a headquarters specified? Yes, it is Babylon. Babylon. And that is the conjunction of the wicked empire and Jerusalem. Okay. Because the Antichrist will set his seat, his throne, inside a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem, according to St. Paul. So the darkness that God pours out upon the earth will be poured out, the vial, the fifth angel, mm -hmm. on the throne of the beast. All right, and Babylon being Middle East. Well, Babylon is like a, it well, was originally the in the Middle East, but it's a sign of a sinful regime, sinful. So when you say right, the like whore the, of Babylon, it's on a ge geographical location, it's, or... Yeah, the whore no. of Babylon. Babylon represents idolatry, immoral sexual behavior, sin, and rebellion against God. 
okay. and persecution of the faithful. So Babylon was the first kingdom that destroyed Jerusalem. And so it represents everything wicked on in the political sphere. Okay. So the whore of Babylon is, and I cover all this here, the whore of Babylon is the covenantal wedding or joining of God's people with the evil empire. And when, when did that happen in the Bible? When, when, when does it talk about the... The destruction of yes. with Babylon? Uh, you get all that in... in uh, Second Chronicles and then third, fourth Kings. Right. And then the, the prophets like Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah, Ezekiel, minor prophets as well. They talk about the Babylonian exile. Right. Is that everything? I'm thirsty. <laughs> Can we stop? Uh, it's not, um, how, about, how about like one or two audience questions? One or two audience. Y'all are so kind. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. All right. Let's see here. Anybody got some good questions? There's a nice comment here by Matt. This is a great format for a show. The discussion amongst you three flows well. It's interesting to hear. Also, Doc, your instruction for your daughters adds a level of focus. I recommend doing it again. All right, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate that. Joanna T., could Mary be an archangel incarnate? No. Mary is not an angel. Mary is a human. Mary is fully a human. She's not an archangel. How do we know this? Well, we know this because scripture talks about her as a normal person. I mean, not normal in that she's a sinner, but that she is of the same nature as us. If she were an angel incarnate, that would kind of make her like a Nephilim. Yeah. yeah in a way. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. Those are evil. <laughs> um, and then also, she wouldn't be consubstantial with humanity. You see, Jesus needs to be fully God and fully man. If Mary was an angel, that means that Jesus would be fully God and kind of quasi-angelic, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's not right. Mary, in order... See, Jesus, to redeem us humans, has to be a human. So his mother must be fully human. Now, she's fully human and preserved from sin through the Immaculate Conception. But yeah, it can't, can't be an angel. Are well, archangel angels are usually depicted as men. Is that an objection to it, or is could an archangel be incarnated as a woman? I don't think angels incarnate. Or okay. I mean, like in a way, Raphael appears as a human right. mm-hmm. in the Book of Tobit, but he's not a human. He's just kind of miraging himself. And what is he? Do you know, does it describe what he looks like? Yeah, it looks like a normal guy. He okay. tricks him. Tobit, Tobit doesn't even know okay. it's an angel. He thinks. That one's interesting. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I like that one. Where is it? There we go. This is from Sol- Solitarius. Do you think virtuous... Uh-oh. When you did that, I lost it. It's okay. Go back. Go back. Do you think virtuous pagans like Aristotle were in limbo? Um... I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that that Aristotle made it. But if you read Dante, he has Aristotle and Plato and all those guys still in limbo. Okay. So they don't they didn't get out when Jesus descended, you know, on Holy mm-hmm. Saturday and redeemed the Old Testament faithful. They didn't Aristotle and Plato they, they got left behind. <laughs> they got left behind. So right. but why wouldn't they have gone to purgatory? Why are they in limbo still? Would they be? Well, it means that they weren't circumcised and they didn't 
they weren't received into God's people, even though okay. they were legit. Like there's Aristotle right there behind you, Mary. Yeah. There he is on the wall. Over here's Plato. You can't see him. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, they would have to have had faith, hope, and charity to receive the truth. Also, you know, like Aristotle was technically an idolater. I think in his will, he he talks about idols. So even at the end of his life, he has, I mean, he had a lot of good ideas, but he still wasn't righteous. Just having the right ideas about God mm -hmm. doesn't make you go to heaven. Right. Are there any other figures that that we would recognize today that would be in limbo, you think? Adults? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. pretty, like Thomas Aquinas says, everyone that was in limbo before Jesus died on the cross, 100% of them went to heaven. And then now Thomas says the only people in limbo are unbaptized babies or unbaptized kids up to seven. Okay. Okay. Are um, we done? We, yeah, yeah, we can be done. I think so. You want to keep going? Oh, well, no. I just, I'm just thirsty. Yeah, I, mean, I got to get water. Let's do, let's do one more short one. He did, one. Have, one more. He did okay. have a commemorative statues in his will right here. What, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Rose has the will of Aristotle. <laughs> See, I knew this. Back when I did my PhD and read everything Aristotle, I read his yeah, will. Yeah, he mentioned. And I remember thinking, oh, man, homeboy had idols in his will. He also had a concubine in his will. Her See what I'm saying? Aristotle did not make it. Go ahead and read it. All right. Uh, so um, the so he just says hit, that. Hit the parts on the concubine right. the idols. That should All do right. it. Um, concubine. The execute. The ex. The, the executors and Nicanter, keeping me in mind, and Herophilus, who has been good to me, should take care of also the other matters concerning her. And if she wishes to marry, to give her to someone worthy of me. So just take care of my concubine, yeah. basically. And then for so the he's got he's got a side chick. Yeah. And he had slaves. Shacked up. He had women's Aristotle was shacked up with a side piece. Did he have a wife? Oh, yeah. He had a wife, too. Yeah. And he, had, he had a wife and... He had kids. There's, yeah. there's provisions no, for children never. here. Um, and for the statues, they should dedicate my mother's statue of Demeter at Nemea or wherever they think best. Wherever they put my tomb, they should collect and place the bones of Pythias, as she herself requested. Um, because Nicanter returned safely, he should put up stone statues four cubit high in Stegaria to Zeus, the preserver, and Athena, the preserver. There you go. In fulfillment of my vow. So he died asking for idols of Zeus and Athena <laughs> to be erected. In his will, yeah. Aristotle didn't make it. Even though he's <laughs> on my wall right back here, props to his philosophy, but he didn't make it. Okay. All right, he not. I don't think he made it even to limbo. Sorry, Dante. <laughs> All right, we're gonna end the new show, the yeah. inaugurative first off Bible Q and A show. We did it, and I want to thank everyone who was here with us all. Oh, 2,000. We got 2,000 people here. Boy, they love you girls. I don't, I'm by myself, I, it's hard for, me, <laughs> hard for me to get to 2,000. It's hard for me to get to 2,000. All right, so the way you can show your love and your appreciation is like the video with your thumbs up, share it, um, subscribe on YouTube. We'll get, you can get more of these if you subscribe, hit the bell. And... Um, Join a new St. Thomas Institute. Do you like this kind of stuff? Go deep. Go to newstthomas.com. Take my online course on the Old Testament, my online course on the New Testament, and um, 
you want to learn about the Antichrist, get the book Antichrist and Apocalypse. You girls want to promote anything? Um, got any promo codes or <laughs> no, any affiliate marketing? No, not, yeah, not yet. Okay. We'll, we'll get on that. All right. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you guys. You are the best. Don't I have great daughters? All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And we'll see you again. Y'all going to come back? Help that out? Yeah. 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 Help me get some... Get some info out, mm -hmm. some research. Yeah. Okay. All right. God bless everyone. Stay salty. <laughs>